Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend, Chabruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Gitin, daf nun vav, page 56. Well, we're in the middle of our very long dafim that all describe uh, or have the agadita on the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash, uh, and we really could have read the entire daf today. Um, I'll talk a little bit about some of it outside of the daf, but then we'll read really the quintessentially famous story of this daf that we can't uh, skip. Uh, one of the things that it talks about here is uh, it, you know, mentions how Rabbi Mayer, as we mentioned a few episodes ago, uh, is descended from the Romans, okay, from Nero. Uh, so please pay attention to that. There's also a passage here that has that deals with the three famous uh, wealthy residents of Yerushalayim, Naktimon, Ben Kalva Savua, and less famous Ben Sitzit um, uh, Hakeset. So I just want to point out, Naktimon is the one who is made very famous uh, because uh, there's later a story with Rabbi Yochanan that his daughter became very impoverished and Rabbi Yochanan finds her later on basically picking out food from animal dung uh, and with no clothing and her hair covered. But uh, he was very, very wealthy. He built these like cisterns uh, on the way to Yerushalayim so the pilgrims would have water. Uh, so we see Naktimon appears a few times in the Gemara. Uh, ben Kalva Savua is also the name of Rabbi Akiva's father-in-law. In this staff, he's not identified as such, but just pay attention that that's the same name that we see twice. Um, and then the third one uh, is really where we see him appear. Um, but the point and the setup that's happening here before we get to the story of Rabbi Yochanan is that there is a terrible famine uh, in, within Yerushalayim itself, Okay and that there is no food, it's made very clear that these three wealthy people actually could have fed all of the residents. They agree to give certain types of food to them, but even wealthy people, right? There's also this Gemara here about Marta Baitus, who is this wealthy woman who dies basically from hunger, okay? Um, And then we also have, just to put into context, because this will become important for the story of Rabbi Yochanan, that Rabbi Sadok. Uh, basically fasted for 40 years so that Yerushalayim would not be destroyed and he was very, very thin, okay? And so now we get to this very famous about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And this is the quintessential story of how Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai decides what is post-Beit HaMikdash Judaism going to look like, okay? Because he makes a choice here uh, that's very, very important. And then we're also going to see, does the Gemara criticize that choice or does the Gemara praise that choice? So the Gemara begins as follows. Abba Sikri Bar Yonai Di Rishalayim Bar Achatei the Rabban Yochanan Ben Zakkai. So Abba Sikra was the head of the Bar Yonai. The Bar Yonai were the zealots who lived in Yerushalayim who basically said under should peace or any type of uh, arrangement be made with the Romans. So the Romans are, you know, uh, surrounding Yerushalayim and the Bar Yonai are the ones who say we're not going to negotiate. And essentially what's happening here is it's the Baryonai who are laying the city under siege. So notice that part of what's happening here is it's really, yes, it's Romans against Jew, but it's also Jew against Jew because it's not clear what the correct political strategy should be to deal with the Romans. And the Baryonai was this very, uh, you know, uh, a group of zealots that basically said we should not negotiate with the Romans. And the head of the Baryonai happens to also be Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's nephew. Shlachle. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai sends a message to him. Uh, Come to me in secret. 
Atta, I have a secret comes to him. Amrle, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai says to him, Ad Ahmad Abitu Hachi, how long are you going to act this way? And kill everyone through starvation. So it's very clear, Rabbi Yochanan is saying, you know who's at fault for this famine? It's the Jews, it's the Baryonai, it's these zealots. It's not the Romans. And he's basically saying you're going to kill everybody because you are not willing to speak to the Romans at all and figure something out. Amarle, so Avasikra says, my Avi, what can I do? If I say to the other Baryonai, right, they, you know, that maybe we should try to make some arrangement with the Romans, they'll kill me. Now, again, this is something that happens very often with fringe political movements, right? That even if the leader wants to do something different, because remember it said he's the head of them, he's worried that his followers turn on him. Amrle, so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says the following, So find me a way to get out of the city. And maybe I can get what Hatzla Porta is like a small amount of salvation. So already what we see is, is Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is trying to come up with a plan and he's not necessarily saying he's going to get everything that we should, that he would want, but he's trying to get some type of small something. Amrle, so Abbasikra says to him, Nikut make yourself out to be sick. In other words, pretend to be sick. And then everybody's going to come and ask. And then take something that smells bad and lay it next to you. So in other words, it will smell like he's a dead body. And then people will say that you're di- you died and your body is beginning to smell. And then have your students come in and take your bed to carry it out. But don't let anybody else come in to carry your bed. In other words, you only should trust your students with this plan. Because this way they won't detect that you're actually light. In other words, the idea is, is that a dead body feels heavier. So if your students know the plan and they carry you out, they'll know you're actually alive. But if you have just random people carry your body out, have, carry the bed out, they're going to know that it weighs less than it should uh, for a, uh, or it's easier to carry for a dead body. Because the barrio and I know that a living person feels lighter than uh, than a corpse. Avar hachi. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai does this. Nichnasbo Rabbi Eliezer mitzad achad, but Rabbi Yeshua mitzad achar. So Rabbi Eliezer comes on one side of the bed and Rabbi Yeshua on the other side. Now, the reason why I think this is significant is, yes, there are students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And remember, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is what we would consider to be a first-generation Tana. But Rabbi Eliezer represents the school of Beit Shammai. And Rabbi Yeshua represents the school of Beit Hillel. So in a way, the sort of like carrying him out is that all of Torah, right? The two major yeshivot, the two major sides of learning, carry him outside of the city. So when they get to the gate, right, this Bar Yonai, the zealot who's guarding the gate, wanted to stab Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka. He wants to make sure that he's really dead. Now notice again, it's not the Romans who are doing this. It's another Jew. Amr Lefu, Abrasikra says to them, Yomu Rabbanan Zakru, are the Romans going to say that the Jews stabbed their rabbi? So then they said the zealots, okay, we'll, we'll shake Rabbi Yochanan because we'll see whether he'll like move or cry out. Amr Lehu, Avrasikra says to them, Yomru Rabbanan Zachu, are they going to say that this is how Jews treat their, the, the corpse of their dead rabbi, that they shake it around? So the Baryonai, uh, they open the gate and they let him come out. So in other words, Avrasikra is able to convince them not to do any tests to make sure that he's really dead.
Amar Shlama Alach Malka, Shlama Alach Malka. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai basically goes to the Roman camp. And again, they don't say the name of the general that he speaks with. But in general, we say that the, the, the general that he's with is Vespasian. And so he says, peace be on you, king, peace be on you, king. Amar Leh, so Vespasian says back to him, you are liable for death on two accounts. First of all, I'm not a king, and you called me king. And if I am king, right, then why did you wait to come to me today? You should have come and spoken to me earlier. Amar Leh, so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says to him, right, so when you say, I am not king, Ibra Malka'at. The truth is, is that you are going to be king. Zi'i love Malka'at. Because if you were not going to be king, lo mamisra Yerushalayim v'yada. Yerushalayim would not have been delivered into your hand, right? So Yerushalayim still has not been destroyed. It hasn't been conquered yet, okay? This was just, you know, after, this was like a three-year siege was basically is what was happening here. And so how does he know this? That if he was going to be king, he's not going to be the one, uh, uh, you know, that he's not going to, that uh, if he was not going to be king, then Yerushalayim would not be given to him. Dichtiv, right? And here they quote a pasuk from Yeshayahu, um, chapter 10, verse 34. ba'adir yipol. And Lebanon uh, shall fall to the mighty one. Vein adir elamelech. When he uses the word adir, adir means a king. And now they bring another pasuk to show how the word adir means king. Um, and, uh, you know, and it says, and there, this is the second part of the, uh, this is a pasuk from Yirmiyahu, chapter 30, verse 21, where God basically says the Jew, that when the Jews return from Galut, right, the king that will rule over them will be a Jew, okay? Um, and so that's how we know that the word adir means king. The ain Lebanon elevates Hamidash. The word Lebanon means the temple. Right? And so here he quotes a pasuk from Devarim, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 25, where it says, Hahar, uh, right? The mountain. And that has to refer to the Temple Mount and the Lebanon. Hahar and the Lebanon. So this teaches us that the temple, right, will be conquered by a king. Because again, that original puzzle from Yeshayahu is, the Livanon, which we brought a pasuk from Devarim to show, means the temple will be fallen by Adir, which means a king. So he's basically saying you have to be a king in order to conquer Yerushalayim. So now he says to him, Ukid Amart, I Malka Ana Amai Lo Kaita Kaatit Lagabe Adhadina. And if you said, Well, if I am a king, why did you wait now to come to me? Bayonai the East Ben Lo Shepkinan. The Bayonai would not let us leave the city. And again, notice what he does here. He basically sells out the other Jews. He basically says, This is all because of the Bayonai. This is why I couldn't leave the city, because of these other Jews. Amarle. So Vespasian says to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, Ilu Chabit Shel Tabat Idarkon Karuch Alai. If there's a, a, a barrel of honey and there's a snake, meaning like around honey, right? Would you not break the barrel uh, because of this of the snake? So, in other words, what he's saying is, okay, so you should destroy the walls of your city so the Baryonai could leave. 
um, Ishtik, and Rabbi Yochanan was quiet. In other words, he doesn't have an answer for that. Why is it that the Jews who were there sort of didn't turn in or work harder to get the bar and I out? And so now we have that the Gemara sort of inter comment about whether or not what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai did by staying silent, was that a good response or not a good response? Kriyale Rabbi Yosef Mitame Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Yosef, and some say it was Rabbi Akiva, quoted the following pasuk about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And this pasuk is from uh, Yishayahu, chapter 44, verse 25, which says, Meshiv chachamim achor v'da'atam yisakel. He, meaning God, turns wise men backwards and makes their thinking foolish. The idea being that, you know, God almost like took away his ability to um, uh, 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 to answer. But the idea is, is that whatever the response is, like a wise man can be backwards sometimes, right? And their thinking cannot be good. Right? Maybe this is what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai should have answered him. Shalkinan sabata v'shalkinan le l'darkon v'katlan le. We should take tongs, grab hold of the snake, and then kill it. The chavita shavkinan la, and then we would leave the the barrel intact. So, in other words, what he could have said to him is, you know, we don't need to, uh, you know, we don't need to destroy the whole city, right? We don't need to break the barrel, right? But maybe they were waiting for an opportunity to use tongs, like to figure out a way to get rid of the baryonai without actually having to destroy the city. But the point that Rabbi Yosef or Rabbi Akiva here is saying is, is that, yeah, he answered foolishly. This wasn't a good answer of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And that's very interesting. So I think what we see here is there's sort of like two different political approaches here. And some of what the Gemara is trying to figure out is what should have been the correct political approach? Did he answer uh, this? Uh, you know, did he answer him well, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai? Or, you know, should he have come up by being silent or should he have come up with another answer? Now the story continues. So when so while this happens, a messenger comes from Rome, Amarle, and he says to, to Vespasian, Kum Kaiser, Beresha. Arise, for Caesar has died, and the dignitaries of Rome have decided that you are the leader. So as he's speaking to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, he indeed becomes king. So now there's this whole weird story, which actually I, I, I think I could skip, but it basically has to do it. I'll, I'll just read it because it's easier to read it than skip it. But there's this whole weird thing here that he's wearing a shoe. He tries to put the other shoe on. He had one shoe on, but not the other shoe on. Again, unclear why. And the other shoe wouldn't go on. So then he tries to take the other shoe off and it wouldn't come off. In other words, his feet were swollen. Amar, so he says to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Mahai, what is this? Why are my feet swollen? Amarle, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says to him, Lo titzatzer shmua toba atalach. Don't be upset. Your shoes don't fit basically because you got good news. The joy of hearing good news makes somebody's body swell. Sikhtiv. And so he quotes here a pasuk from Mishle, chapter 15, verse 30, that says, Shmua toba didashen atzem. Good tidings, good news, fatten the bones. Elamai tekante, what's your remedy? Let a man who you dislike come in front of you because that will make the swelling go down. And then he quotes another pasuk also from Mishlei chapter 17, verse 22 that says, Right? A broken spirit dries the bones. Okay? So if you're feeling good and you're happy about something and then you see a person you don't like, 
your, you know, your, the swelling will go down. So he does this and he got his shoe on. Okay. So then he says to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Since you're so smart, why did you not come see me? In other words, he recognizes this is, this is the leader he should have been negotiating with. And why didn't he come earlier to see him? Right? Um, below Amri Lav. And so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said, since I already answered you, I told you why I didn't come. Um, now, again, he's not making it clear. He's blaming the Bar Yonai, but he's not willing to give him another straight answer. Amar Lai, so he says back to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Ananami Amri Lav. I also answered you. Right? In other words, I said to you that you should have taken care of the Bar Yonai. Um, uh, Amar Lai. So then Vespasian says back to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Mazel Aslina Inish Achrina Mishadrana. Right? I'm going to go back to Rome and I'm going to send somebody else to take my place. Elabai mine mide de etain laf, right? So what can I give you? Okay. He sees that he's a holy man and he says, what could I give you? And this is the very, very famous part. Instead of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai asking for him to save the city of Yerushalayim, what does he say? Amar lei, ten li yabna give me the town of Yavna and its sages. So this effectively, what it does is, is it moves the center of Torah learning from Yerushalayim to Yavna. Bishul shlita de Ravan Gamliel, keep the family of Ravan Gamliel. Ravan Gamliel, who remember is the Nasi, he could, he was a direct descendant. Um, this is Ravan Gamliel II, okay? He was the Nasi, he becomes the Nasi. He is a direct descendant from the line of David Hamelech. And so what he basically says is, you know, keep this line, keep the line of David Hamelech intact. And then finally, and bring me some doctors who can cure Rabbi Tzado. And then again, the Gemara asks on this, Rabbi Yosef, and some say Rabbi Akiva, they again quote this pasuk of right? Because he spoke foolishly. Why didn't he just ask for the Jewish people to be saved? Why didn't he ask for Yerushalayim not to be destroyed? But then Rabbi Yochanan, maybe right, what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai should have said is, leave them alone this time. In other words, he should have asked for Yerushalayim uh, to be spared. And then the Gemara is going to say, why didn't he? Right, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai thought, maybe he wasn't going to give him such a big request. Right. And then, you know, and then he wouldn't even get a little bit of salvation. So in other words, he requested something small because he figured that was an ask he could get answered. Um, and then the Gemara goes on to explain how Rabbi Sato gets cured. Um, but that is basically the famous story of Rabbi Yochanan ben Sakai, which essentially transforms what Judaism is going to look like because it no longer becomes after the destruction of the Second Temple. The Torah center is not no longer in Yerushalayim. It's actually in uh, it's in Yatna. But I think the real reason why he gives up Yerushalayim is, and there's many other Midrashic sources for this, but Yerushalayim is supposed to be, right, Yerushalayim. It's supposed to be a city of peace. It's supposed to be a city of peace, a city of love. And the Jews are not behaving that way now. And I think in a way what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is saying is, is like, we have lost the meaning of this city. And so we can't have this city anymore. Um, it's just not a city that we can have anymore. Something needs to change within the Jewish people in order for us to come back to Yerushalayim. And I think that's ultimately, right, he worries about the Torah. He worries about who the leaders are going to be. That's why he asked for Rav Gamliel, even asked for Rabbi Tzedek to be to be cured. And remember, Rabbi Tzedek was the one who sort of, in a way, kept the destruction, uh, you know, from happening because he fasted for 40 years. 
Um, but I think essentially what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is saying is, is, is it's so bad from what Jew to Jew is doing that that loses the spirit. It's no longer a city of shalom anymore. And therefore, it's not something that we can actually hold on to anymore. So I don't want to take too long to comment because it's such a long story and such an important one and timely and everything like that. But I do want to just note that this is one of the examples. Um, this story of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zagai, as it's exactly presented here, it's a very famous story. People can quote it, you know, at least parts of it because of these this famous line, give me Yavna and the sages, right? And there are, it's one of the, it's one of the, cases of the Gemara, one of the stories of the Gemara that is used to address the question of whether the Talmud is a history book, right? We often right. have a discussion of whether the Bible is a history book, Tanakh and Torah, and we say, no, it's not. And we, you know, can address that pretty easily. The Gemara so often is not at all a history book. It's teaching law, let's say, for example, and you only get snippets of, of, a, of a window into what was going on historically. Here, it sounds like this is the historical record. Look at all of that detail. And the fact is, and this is the crazy part, and I, as I said, I don't want to take too long with it, but there are two other accounts, as I recall, that give the story of, you know, this transfer of power, however you want to look at it. And they're very, very, very different. One, instead of saying Yavna, talks about Gofna. They don't have, one doesn't have Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai at all. Maybe both don't have Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai at all. It's a whole different, it's the same skeleton of a story. Certainly we know that the central the centrality of Jerusalem was lost and the Jewish people's focus moved to the north, right? Like all of that happened. We know what happened historically, but the the idea that this is the like that was the day and this is the day in history, it's it's a really interesting um comparison of texts. There's three different versions, maybe more, but I know of three, um, that are really quite different and that call into question as I would say, the historicity of this narrative. And on the other hand, I would say that you're, Dana, what you've just explained in terms of the primacy of Jerusalem and so on, and that debate, right? Could he have asked for more? Could they have salvaged Jerusalem at all, right? Is, I think, part of the answer to say, no, they could not. And the other versions also could not have, right? This was the the narrative of how the, how the focus of the Jewish people came to be in exile, but in the north in the land of Israel, at least at the time, right? They're not fully exiled yet. And so I think it's a really important, you know, on the one hand, it's important in its own right as the narrative that's here. And on the other hand, it becomes this um, uh, study or the potential for study as to what happened, to what extent did what is recounted in the Gemara happen in a, in a literal kind of way. I want to go on, though, taking the same story from the Gemara, because what happens next is the end of the story, right? Vespasian goes back to Rome. Azal And he sends Titus back to Jerusalem, right? And again, this is something that we know, right? The the governorship of of the land of Israel did switch in exactly this way. Right? The the it's a verse from from Tavarim. And right, meaning the question is Titus really quoting Devarim? Maybe not. But right, the idea here is that he will say, Where is their God, their rock in whom they trusted? Elkemo, I should say. Right, this is the wicked. Ah, right, I'm sorry. We look at that verse to say that it's about Titus, and really, then we're saying it's a false God, right? It's wicked Titus who insulted and blasphemed um, God. What did Titus do? 
meaning at the time that he actually conquered the temple, it's very, very sad. Right? He took a, a zona, a prostitute with him, and he enters the Holy of Holies with her. And he spreads out a Sefer Torah underneath him, them. He, meaning, so the implication here, it doesn't spell it out. It's a little more discreet than that. But the implication is that he engages in a sexual act on the floor of the Kodesh Kodeshim, Kodesh Kodeshim with the Sefer Torah spread out before him. He takes a sword, he cuts the parochet, that parochet that's separated between everywhere else and the Kodesh Kodeshim. And there is a miracle and blood spurted forth from this slicing of the parochet. And he thought, because Savor Haragat Atzmo, he thought he killed himself because of the blood that he saw. Right? This is a verse from Tehillim. This is your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting place. Me and them, your meeting place in that Beit HaMikdash. They've set up their own signs to be signs. And the point is that this is truly the devastation of the Beit HaMikdash. Um, okay. The Gemara, we have Abba Hanan brings a verse to talk about exactly this kind of blasphemy. I want to continue in the narrative. So I'm skipping just a few few lines. Me'asa, right? So again, this idea of what more blasphemy, what did what else did he do? Natal Gargutni. What does he do? He shaped that parochet to be like a basket. He took all the vessels of the of the temple and put them in this basket thing in the in the, in the vessel, whatever the bag, I guess, really that he hold, that he had fashioned from the parochet to, to carry the vessels. And he takes them. He puts them on a ship. Right, they're going to go back to. Rome and say, look at this, we conquered Jerusalem. This is a verse from Kohelet that where it says specifically, I saw the wicked buried, they came to their rest. They had, who had done right and who had left the holy place, they were not forgotten. All of this is vanity, right? The whole idea here is um again, it's paying attention to what this devastation is taking place. Um, there is, I think, also the hint of comeuppance that will eventually come. Let's reread these words so that instead of saying buried, it says gathered or collected, right? The kalim, the vessels that were collected, do not say that they were forgotten, rather that they were praised, right? So that you can reinterpret that same verse so that it's talking about um, the praise of the Romans in their destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, right? This praise for what they had done, not praise from our perspective. And then there are those who say, no, no, read it as it says. People, you know, that they're actually buried. Because even those things that were buried were eventually revealed to them, meaning, meaning for Titus and his soldiers, right? They they found the special things. They found the the Vessels of the Beit Hamikdash. Um, the rest of the daf suggests that there is maybe that there's going to be some comeuppance for him. I'm not going to read it because we are so far out of time, but it is worth reading, especially since you hear how much 
he did wrong and how like really disgusting behavior. Um, and that was his point, right? To bring utter shame and devastation to the Jewish people to truly destroy Jerusalem. And that was about as destructive as you could get, right? To destroy the Beit HaMikdash, which was the glory of the Jewish people. And now they're in exile, even if Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was able to salvage some, you know, some relocation possibilities for them. So the idea then that, you know, that eventually Titus ends up, it says he died, they split open his head and, you know, they, whatever. Like we, we see some destruction of Titus himself in the rest of the daf. Right. Well, I think that's something that's always interesting, even with Nebuchadnezzar, even though these are people who are doing God's plan, right? Nebuchadnezzar destroys the first uh, temple and, and Titus destroys the second one. Even though they're sort of doing God's plan, um, they still get punished for doing it. I mean, I think that Titus here, at least as he's depicted on this daf in Argamara, I, I think that he goes far, right? Meaning he could fulfill that I agree. job. I'm not saying it's not deserve it. I just think it's interesting to see that there's sort of this piece of, you know, that, you know, on the one hand, they're doing what we deserved, but yet they're still accountable for it. Yes, I agree with you. That's a that's a fair assessment. And and I think it also shows, look, they went way too far. Right. right. You can but destroy they, the temple and exile the Jewish people without spitting and doing much worse, right? In the Kodesh Kodeshim. Right, exactly. Could could they have done this uh differently? All right. This is a devastating DAP, uh, but a very, very famous one. And you know, one that we encourage people, you should just you just need to know the staff. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about the staff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.